Oh boy, are we ever different. Are we ever, ever different. How would that come up? How would that not come up? Don't you love it? We had an experience like that. Uh, well, we have many experiences like that. My wife and I, my wife Brenda, 37 years uh, now and still going. She was clearing her, you know, when you're, you have your phone and you, for years you've been gathering text messages and then you get the signal that says your phone's memory is full, empty it. So she was going through with texts and old texts and deleting some old texts so she could get some more space uh, on her phone. And she came across a text between, it was a three-way text, between her and me and Ben Kearns' wife, Katie, wife of one of our pastors here. It was just after our daughter Becca had given birth to our grandson Oliver, and Becca had some very serious, very, very serious complications after that surgery, and so she had to be in the hospital for several days and couldn't move, and it was really a critical, critical thing, but Katie texted us. Brenda came across that text. I said, save that. I want to use that because we were cracking up over it. Let me, just, let me just rehearse the text to you. Katie, to me, and Brenda. Been praying, how's the patient? Art, excellent so far, thanks. Now, Becca is in the hospital in intensive care with a blood clot the length you know, of a free, section of freeway, uh, threatening her life. So Katie wants to know how she's doing. I, Respond, excellent so far, thanks. Brenda responds to the same question. Eating lunch now, can't sit up though. She's tired and in some pain, has to stay flat. Katie, love the male response versus the female response. Brenda, yep. Also, communicator versus nurse, question mark three times. Art, did I tell the truth or not? The results are excellent so far. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Brenda, you did just vague art, right? Katie, Katie, you too. Brenda, smiley face. Art, hey Greg, want to come home now? We could make out. Katie, ah! Brenda, sorry, I have a prior commitment. Art, sad face. <laughs> End of text. <laughs> we, we approach life and so many things so differently. There are lots and lots of differences. And that is a story of so many marriages. Just so much difference. How in the world do we make that work? That's one of the reasons marriage, as Jeff, Pastor Jeff talked about last week, is an insane proposal. Well, two people from different worlds and different life experiences come together and are expected to make one exciting and peaceful life together. And he talked about the need, I hope most of you were here last Sunday. If you weren't, go online and definitely look at Pastor Jeff's message. It was excellent and very helpful. He talked about the need for building a solid foundation and delineated some of those foundational commitments, those foundational ideas. This week, we're going to talk about putting those foundations to long-term use actually living in the marriage you're building on those foundations. Because you can't live without foundations, but you can't live in foundations either, unless you're a mole, 
You can't live in them. Eventually, we'll need to construct something on those foundations, construct something that's going to keep the rain out, going to keep the weather out throughout all the seasons of life. Marriages collapse without foundations, no question about that, but they mold and rot without sturdy walls, a good roof, and constant upkeep. And eventually, they collapse there too. So in addition to the solid foundations Jeff noted uh, last week, Here are some keys for marriage, a marriage that not only rocks, but a marriage that rocks on. Some keys for that. A few banners to hang over the doorways of the marriage you build, a marriage that not only rocks, but a marriage that rocks on. And I'll just jump right in. Here's the first banner to put up. In fact, I think this banner should probably go over the front door of that marriage that we're building. Banner number one, so that we're always reminded every time we come through the door, marriage is actually a theological statement. Did you remember that? Did you know that? Marriage is a theological statement. Your marriage, our marriages, are meant to serve as a reflection of our theology. And our marriage was invented, marriage in fact was invented by and intended by God to be a reflection of his theology, of his understanding of who he is, of his person and character. He invented invented marriage. In Genesis, he talks about it. I want marriage to reflect who I am. I, I want people to see who I am. We're referred to as the bride of Christ, the church. He is the husband. There are all sorts of metaphors and stories about that, and we'll look at uh, one of them in particular here coming up. But I want marriage so that I can have an expression of how things work between humanity and me. Your marriage is meant to reflect God, reflect your theology and his theology. For instance, in Genesis 1 and 2, you have this whole creation story. And you have have God, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, one God, you have that God creating new beings. So marriage is, if we look at God as the example, marriage is to be creative. You have him creating new beings and new environments in which those beings can live and provision for them. And you have this idea of um, uh, God created humankind. Then it goes on to be more specific. Male and female, he created them. And then he created marriage later on in that same the same couple of chapters, and this male and female come together, and they, as a result of their coming together and their cleaving, which is, which is certainly at least a sexual term, emotional and sexual term, they create something entirely new, an entirely new being. They become the source for a new being, that those two new beings had God as their source through creation, and then it goes on and on and on. So marriage is creative, and then it says on the seventh day, he rested after creating the earth and all of the seeds and plants and animals and eventually male and female. Um, He creates man and woman, humanity. Uh, He rests. Marriage is to be creative, expressive, a restful place, a place that brings us calm and shalom. It's a theological statement. Why does it bring calm and shalom? Because it's an expression of who God is. When it doesn't bring calm and shalom and you're not caring for each other and knitting yourselves together, being creative, that's not an expression of who God is. We're expressing poor theology. And then you have at the end, he talks about a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And it implies the very same thing about 
the woman. The the man and the woman leave allegiances, primary allegiances, and cling to each other. This theological statement reminds us that marriage is about connecting and committing through thick and thin. Why? Because it's a statement, a picture of what God the husband does for the church, the bride. Do you see that? It's meant to be a theological statement by us and a representation of an accurate connection between us and God. It's also meant as a theological statement by him. I'm going to make marriage to show what things are like, what this connection is like. I'd hang that banner over the front door. It's always a good reminder. My marriage is a theological statement. What I just did to her says something about the way he and I interact. And so it's perfectly appropriate for Brenda to come to me sometime if she chose to do that. She's never had cause. (laughs) But if she came to me and said, honey, would our husband treat you that way? That's perfectly legit because marriage is a theological statement. It's God constructing something so he can express what he longs for in a relationship between him and us And it's also us seeing it through the lenses, seeing marriage through the lenses of a theological statement. And what I see God doing as a husband, as a spouse, I practice as a spouse. That's my objective. That's my goal. That's where I'm going. Then in Ephesians 4, you have the apostle who who writes the Ephesians 4 text, Paul, going out of his way to go back to that Genesis text and give us even more insight into it. It's Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 4, along about verse 30, 25, 24, oh, here, 23, he starts talking about this idea of being made into a new person and the attitude of your minds. And then he uses Genesis source language, just to give you context, and to put on the new self, he says, challenge for us how we should live, created to be like God, another translation, a more literal translation, this is smoother, but the more literal translation is, it recognizes God as source, image of God language, same language that we found in Genesis. In true righteousness or rightness and holiness. And he goes on to challenge the church about how we should live and how we should treat each other. And without changing context, by the time we get to Ephesians 5, he starts talking about one of the examples of that being the marriage relationship. And he talks about how we're members of the body of Christ. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife is how it's translated here. But that's that same cleaving language to his wife and vice versa. And then he says, this is a profound mystery. Me referring now about how we should live and going back to the Genesis leaving and cleaving, creating male and female humanity text. He says, it's a profound mystery. But I'm talking about, where he's talking clearly about marriage on one foot, he comes and says, I'm, on one hand, he comes and says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. So you have Christ and the church, and you have the marriage relationship, and they sort of instruct and give insight to each other. They're forever connected, this idea of Jesus as husband, us as bride. However, each one of you also must love his or her spouse, just like you love yourself and submit to each other as well. Why does Paul mingle those ideas like that? Because he understands what we're talking about today. Marriage is a theological statement. That's a banner we should hang over the front door. 
My marriage says something about, and the way I make it work and interact with my spouse says something about the way I see God. And he meant for marriage to represent the way he sees us. Starts with reflecting on the image of God in Ephesians and then argues about how we should treat one another in a marriage relationship and has no problem linking those ideas. Marriage is intended to reflect and model something theological. Remember that. Every choice we make, including the choices we make in our marriages, every choice we make reflects on God has his attention. It's a theological statement. And marriages that rock and keep on rocking, hang that banner over their doorways. Second banner. Another banner. You might hang this one in the living room. You ready for this? Don't freak out. Embrace polygamy. I'm going to argue that every marriage that rocks and keeps on rocking has learned how to embrace polygamy. Now let me explain that. Yes, you need to explain that. I can't handle the one I got. I don't want to. (laughs) I hope you know by now, or will soon learn, that you will be married to several spouses, even if you're only married to the same spouse for 70 years. Have you learned that yet? And instead of coming to the point where you say, I just don't know you anymore, you're not the woman I married, I think a healthier practice is to embrace the polygamy of a marriage. That people change. They're one person when you meet them, another person after 10 years of living with them, another person here and there. Over the course of a single marriage, you will be married to five or six or seven different people. Embrace the polygamy. Flex with it. Learn with it. Grow with it. And there's no surprise there Because we see the same thing in this illustration of God being husband, Jesus being husband, and the church being wife. Let me explain. And in Romans 5, you have God expressing this stuff. It says in Romans 5, 8, God loved us. He loved us even when we weren't worthy of his love, even while we were still practicing sin, practicing things that are no good living in the darkest world ever. He loved us 100%. And then he loved us when we came to our senses. And then he loved us when we stumbled along in life. And then he loved us then and now he loves us in whatever situation, however we're acting radically differently, when we're all sorts of different people, even while we were still indifferent toward him or even antagonistic against him, he still loved us, different people altogether. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, in that love chapter that Jeff referred to last week, one of the points of it is this. It says that love endures all things, including transitions and changes and challenges and different uh, personalities as people grow or shrink. Love endures all things. And we shouldn't be surprised that we're going to experience several people in the same marriage. I mean, think about a 70-year walk with Jesus as his bride. With how many versions of you does Jesus stay faithful over a 50 or 60 or 70-year lifespan of following him? I thought of my own life. He was faithful to me in the season I would call child faith me 
where my mantra was, Jesus loves me, this I know, and that's all I needed to know. And he loved me fully. In adolescent faith me, where my mantra was, Jesus loves me, but my parents are idiots. Jesus still loved me. Different person. College faith me. My mantra, isn't Jesus lucky to have me on his team because I know everything. I mean, Jesus loved me even when I was that person. Young married, young pastor faith me. I know everything about marriage and raising children, even though the ring still feels weird on my finger and I have no kids yet. Jesus loved me then. And I was a completely different person than I was in child faith me. He loved me during raising teenagers faith me. Oh Lord, why hast thou forsaken us? He loved me. He loved me in kids off to college faith me. God is back, Jesus loves me, but we can't afford to do anything except stay at home now, watch TV, and worship him for free. He loved me in empty nest faith, me. Houses that are always clean are way too quiet, I'm lonely. And he loved me in grandparent faith, me, where I was singing, Jesus must love me again. That's eight different people that he's a faithful husband to just in one marriage. And marriages that rock and rock on, understand that this will be normative for them too. You'll be married to several different spouses over the course of a single marriage. You're going to be married to your flat belly husband and your round belly husband. You're going to be married to your pre-children wife and your after-children wife. You're going to be married to your young and confident husband and your midlife crisis husband. You're going to be married to your pre-menopause wife and your post-menopause wife. Trust me, those are different people. (laughs) All of them are different people. Marriages that rock have learned to grow and change and morph together. You know what the man I married? You know what? You're right. And you don't want him to be. You want the evolved, more mature man you married. Embrace the polygamy. Hang that banner over the doorways and you'll have a fighting chance because it's normal. Just flex with it. Grow with it. Do more than that. Embrace it and love it and enjoy it, just like you do the change of seasons. You've got to get that figured out in order to have a marriage not only that rocks, but rocks on. To be able to stand here and say, let's see, it's coming up on 40 whatever years. To have a marriage where you see people sort of shuffling with their rockers and they know they've been married for 60 years. And you say to yourself, I I want to be able to shuffle alongside my spouse someday. You're not going to do that if you don't figure out that every marriage is polygamous. You're married to several people, but it's the same person in the same marriage and learn to value it and enjoy it. Embrace polygamy. Third banner. So every marriage, see marriage as a theological statement. Embrace polygamy. I would hang this banner. This might be the most important banner inside the house. The banner is no pretending needed. No pretending needed. Marriages that rock and keep on rocking have learned to make 
vulnerability a safe thing. This is an incredibly difficult task, and it's only for the most mature. We get to grow into it. The deeper the relationship, the more likely this is going to be realized. Vulnerability is a safe thing so that pretending is not even a temptation. There's no need to pretend because I found a safe place in my spouse where I can practice vulnerability. So my spouse, Brenda, is not only my wife, she's also my friend and my sister in Christ. And every once in a while, my spiritual survival has been the result of me depending on my sister, that sister in Christ, and knowing that that's an absolutely, thoroughly, completely, forever safe relationship for me, safe place. I can go to her and say, guess what I'm struggling with? Guess what, this, what temptation I dealt with? And I know that she's of such a deep character that she can handle it, no matter what it is that I bring to her. Stuff I would never tell to anyone, not even my brother. Who's, I can't imagine a closer friendship than the one I have with my brother or my dad. I don't have to imagine it, because I have it. Brenda has made our marriage completely safe. She's a vault. And she's my sister. And she's mature enough to hear things from me. Did that happen the second day of our marriage? No, I don't think so. The second day, the second day of our marriage, we woke up, the day after our marriage, we woke up, we're halfway down the trip on our honeymoon, and she wakes up and I said, I went to kiss her and she turned away and wouldn't kiss me. We're laying there sharing a pillow for the first time, she turned away, would not kiss me. What's wrong? Do I need banaka? What's wrong? She, she hit me and she was mad. I said, what was that for? I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, I'm a Christian, I can't end this marriage. I'm stuck here for 60 years, it's only the second day. She hit me. I don't even know what I did wrong. And she said, she said, you cheated on me. What? I was, I was right here with you the whole time. She had had a dream that first night that we had had our honeymoon night. And then the next day we were out in a fishing boat and I wadded up the wedding, the license and threw it in the water and uh, dropped her off on the shore and went and found myself another woman after the first night. I'm thinking, I'm a... I'm a dead man. This, if we're just getting started in this like this already, I didn't even do anything wrong. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to do with that, that story, but <laughs> it sure is a pretty funny story. Hey, the vulnerability didn't happen overnight. We started there. And we got to the place where I could come to her and say, I'm embarrassed by this temptation I'm having as a Christian. I'm dealing with this thing that I'm fighting as hard as I can, honey, but if you knew I was fighting it and you would stand next to me, it would make it a lot easier to have victory. Can you not only be my friend and my wife, but can you, you be my deep spiritual sister right now and let's have this victory together? Can I share that with you without crushing your heart? And she said, yes. Hang that banner in your marriage, and if you don't own that banner yet, start saving up for it. Banner that says no pretending needed. I started out with this point, no pretending allowed. And I thought, no, not allowed. That's too, like, you know, parental. It's not allowed. It's not even needed because it's such a safe place. Marriages that rock have learned that. They have constructed a context or an environment of loving candor. They have become convinced that the marriage, and this is true, the marriage should be the safest place on earth for all parties, including if God gives you the privilege of having them children. That's the way God values 
relationships. That's what he wants for relationships. I mean, look at the way he relates to us. You have this all over the scripture in the relationship between Christ and the church. In John chapter 1, verse 10, this is talking about candor. Verse 9, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But in strong contrast to that, if we confess our sins, if we're candid, because we come to God, it's a safe relationship, and say, I know, I know I'm messed up. I messed up and I am messed up. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In James 5, it talks about candor again, but this time not between us and God. talks about the challenge to confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other. Be a safe place for each other. And that kind of safe candor, the safe place, no pretending needed, is all over the relationship between God, our husband, and the church, his bride. Peggy Noonan, the uh, newspaper columnist, said this, candor is a compliment. It implies equality. It implies trust. And then she says this, it's the, it's the way friends talk. Because friends are safe. And marriages that rock understand that. In those marriages, the banner, no pretending needed, flies high. Now, I had a fourth banner that I took out. And I was laughing about the fourth banner. I shared it with the worship team before we came out and we were praying. I said, I took it out because I didn't want to go long. I have five or six minutes left. And there's no slide for it. So don't panic back there on the computer. I took it out. But they said I should share it with you. And that banner says this. So no pretending needed. Now a new banner that you don't have a slide for. This is so true. It was funny, I thought. The banner said, respect is sexier than a six-pack. You know, a six-pack, you got the six-pack belly, and you look great in your jeans and all that kind of stuff. This is just thrown in for free. You've got to remember this banner if your marriage is going to not just rock, but rock on. Apologize for those of you who struggle with alcohol, but the the great illustration of wine, it gets good wine, gets better with age. With age, a marriage, if everything else is whole and you're working on the right kinds of things and practicing great things over years, you get to the place, well, let me put it this way. I've told you this before, but I told all of my kids, I don't know what you fall in love with, but I know what you stay in love with. You stay in love with character. So I told my kids each, marry character. Because there's going to... My wife is 60 years old. I think she looks marvelous. Not just for 60 years old. I just think she looks marvelous. She's a beautiful lady. But frankly, I don't care how she looks in her blue jeans anymore. I'm in love with her character. Character is sexier than a six-pack, ladies. Men. And... Psalm 31, you have the description of the godly woman. You know, that, you know that text if you don't go back and look there. But if you, if you read Psalm 31, there are sections of where it's very clear that both the husband and the wife in that section 
are spectacular. They look spectacular to each other. But all that psalm talks about is character, respect. They've earned respect. They're respected in town. He sits in the gates and is respected by the people. And he's admired by his wife. She's respected for who she is and what she does. He's respected for who he is and what he does. Let me tell you, as you get older, and all of you who have been in marriages and made it through and rocked on and are married 40, 50 years or more will agree with this, I would bet my life on it. That what you're in love with later in a relationship is who your spouse is and has become. What you were in love with younger and early in a relationship is still wonderful and valuable, but it's, it's behind you on the road. That's because there's nothing late in a relationship, there's nothing in a mature relationship sexier than character. Nothing. And so some of the applications of that are obvious. Marry character. But pay attention to your own character. Are you living like someone? Are you becoming a man or a woman that your spouse can look at and say, if they made a rule in heaven that every human being had to dissolve him or herself into one other human being? Are you living in such a way that your spouse would choose you? Because you're good and just and fair and merciful and hardworking and kind, all honest, all the things that are attached to character. I don't learn this the hard way, folks. Character is the sexiest thing out there in a marriage. And people whose marriages not only rock, but rock on, have figured that out and purchased that banner for themselves. Just a little extra food for thought. We, uh, back to the slides, we have some friends in Colorado, and uh, Will and Cheryl Jones, when I was a pastor at uh, our covenant church there in Colorado, Will was our church chair, he was a young attorney, and there's Cheryl, she's just beautiful and really fun. We were in a small group together. We talked about marriages together. We were great, uh, great friends. And after a 20-year marriage, we were all shocked to hear that they were getting a divorce. And they did get a divorce. They split up. It broke our hearts. It was, it was a challenge. And we maintained contact with them. We tried to help them uh, through all of that. Will and I were really close friends. And... Uh, and they get this divorce. We remain close friends. We've had Will, uh, Cheryl went off and got married to a pastor and remarried and Will stayed single. We had him at our house. We talked, how you doing brother? What's going on? And you know, we went out and played golf and we came home and Brenda said, how's Will? Is he dating anyone? And I said, I don't know, never came up. You know? <laughs> he called me a couple of weeks ago as he's apt to do. And he said, are you sitting down? And actually, I was. He said, do you still do marriages? <laughs> Does a pope wear a beanie? Of course I still do marriages. He said, would you be willing to remarry Cheryl and me? What in the world is going on, Will? Uh, that's exciting, but I, didn't she remarry? 
And I don't mean to imply that just marry and get divorced, marry and divorce, marry and divorce. We take that lightly. We definitely do not, nor does God. But he said that, was, that went terribly. Uh, it, it, it was abusive, and it was, she had to get out of that marriage. But he said the long and the short of it is this. We've both been thinking, and we've come to our senses. He said, we messed up the first 20 years later, uh, royally, we messed up the first 20 years. He said, and we've decided that we should have never divorced in the first place, and we're going to remarry. And he said this, we're committed to making the next 20 years so much better than the previous 20 years. Now, don't read anything into that about our positions or what the scripture teaches about marriage and divorce. We're real people. We know that these things happen to good people. My excitement is this, Will's last statement. We messed up the first 20 years. God has given us a chance to do this right a second time. And we want to make the next 20 years way better than the first 20 years. And so I will be performing their, their marriage again uh, coming up this summer. And you know what we're going to talk about? I think I'm going to use this message at that marriage. Some version of it. Talking about tearing down the old banners that are not helpful. They do not help marriages. Rock or rock on. That you owe me and I deserve this and you're not the person I married. And, and replacing those with helpful banners. Marriage is a theological statement. Over the front door and moving in from there. And I would invite you to do the same. Take these banners, ponder them, and then live into them. You want a marriage that rocks and rocks on? Hang some new stuff over the doors. Let's pray. Now, God, uh, some of us are saying, yep, we've done that, and that's true. Glad we did it. Others of us are saying, it's not too late for us. We're going we're gonna to think differently. And some are here thinking, my banners got all ripped down. I don't have a house left. Either way, we know that when we call your name, you call our name. That we not only talk about a God who's powerful enough to change things, but we want to experience that God. So where change is needed, would you bring it? Where strength is needed, will you bring it? Where different attitudes are needed, will you bring them to us? And heal us. And enjoy and celebrate us in our marriages and in our singleness and in all of our relationships. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.